and the 11th verse, as the day of Pentecost came upon the people of God that had obeyed the Lord and tarried in Jerusalem, many say there are over 500 in that upper room. I'm not sure it was an upper room. I've been to Israel. I've been to what they call the upper room. And the challenge with the upper room is where it's sequestered and where it's located. It does not have access to the temple. And the Bible says that when they begin to speak with other tongues, different ones begin to recognize their own language. I don't know if you remember that or not. But whether it was or whether it was not the upper room, there were 500 of them gathered together waiting for the promise that God that Jesus had promised to provide. He said, I'm going away, but I'll send you a comforter, and he'll be with you always, even until the end of the world. So when that phenomenon took place, and several hundred were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak, and the cloven tongues of fire, the Bible says there were eyewitnesses that saw, it looked like there was a, I guess like a big lighter, just like a, and there was a, there was a, there was a, 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 a fire there, a flame there, and everybody's, really freaking out you know what's going on they're speaking in Russian they're speaking in Chinese they're speaking in Swahili they're speaking all these different languages they look like they're on fire and so Peter stands up and begins to address the multitude there are three to five thousand there listening to Peter again that's why I don't believe there was an upper room anyway that's not important but the important thing was Peter makes a statement and said this is that and he was quoting Joel and Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy your, your, and see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And I'll visit you, and I'll bring restoration to the house of God. This is that. I got to thinking about the promises that, that God has made us. So many promises in his word. So many promises that he has fulfilled. Last session together, we talked about where God was and where we were. And because of our sinful nature, we could not get to where God was, so God decided to come to where we were. And I liken that to climbing down from a mountain. God came down from the mountain of glory to the poverty of this earth. He lowered himself and became touchable, reachable, tangible, and available. All those things to us. First, there was a mystery. And God was confined to a box called the Holy of Holies. And when sacrifices would made, the Shekinah glory would light that room that had no, no natural candle light whatsoever. And God would light that room with his glory and with his power. And that was their first introduction to the power of the Spirit of God. And then we see that there was a tabernacle, a temple created, and a priest would go beyond the Holy of Holies into the presence of God. But everybody else stayed on the outside. No one got to experience that fire. No one got to experience that, that love, that power, that authority. So God decided that where he was and where we were, he was not satisfied with that because he said, not high, but low. I'm with you always, even until the end of the of this season, of the day. So twisting the words really to make it say what I wanted to say, we find that God came down and God came here. Look at somebody say, God came down. And God came near. And the first, the first step that we see God revealing himself to us was through his word. John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. So we see not just a Bible, but we see a creative power that as you begin to speak the word of God, you can produce and you can perceive miracles, literal, tangible, touchable, 
miracles that God will perform because somewhere in his word you read and he said to do it. He said it wasn't Nike that said just do it. It's God's word that says just do it. Take the Bible, take it on a practical application, and if it says that you can do it, if it says that you can have it, if it says you can be it, then pursue the promises and the favor and the blessing of God. So he lowers himself from that heavenly, that heavenly place. God dwells there in that heavenly place, and he came down, and he lowered himself, and he introduced to us the words. Sixty-six books. Aren't you glad that you have a Bible that you can look to and depend upon and trust? Many people walk around with the Bible big enough to choke a mule. I have seen some monster Bibles in my day. But a lot of people, they don't read it. I guess they're going to take their 97-pound Schofield Thompson chain take Bible and whack it over the devil's head. I think that's the way that they're arming themselves literally. But I think the Word of God is more powerful than that, that it's important that you read. You actually open it up, and you actually begin to read. And if you get bored reading from Genesis to Revelation, then Go the other way. Start at Revelation and read backward. That's a very interesting, uh, as you begin to read what's prophesied and begin to see how God put it all together. So he, he reveals himself as the Word. But knowing that that would probably be distorted and taken out of place and misquoted, how many can relate? There are so many different religions today, and all of them, in some way or another, are based upon a truth found in the Word of God. It may not be the truth, but it's a truth. In every world religion you look at, no matter what religion it is, it has its basic structure on the commandments in the Word of God. So God, knowing that the Word would be good but not sufficient, God lowered himself a little lower to this earth, and it became light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The Bible says a, can, a city set upon a hill cannot be hid. That, that, that exposure to the Word of God, it's a, it's a lamp into my feet, and a light into my path. So we have not just the word, but there's actually a light. There's an illumination upon the word, and that's called revelation. And when you read something in the word of God with the expectation that God is going to help you with the uh, explanation or the translation, there were times when Jesus would make blanket statements, and then later he would get the disciples around him, and he would expound on those parables, the most I think the most well-known parable in the Bible is a sower that went to sow. Sowed good seed in bad places, sowed good seed in kind of compromising places, and sowed seed in good ground. And Jesus talked about the seed being the Word of God. And the word, when the Word is sowed in your spirit correctly with the attitude of, I want to be all that God wants me to be, I want to do all God wants me to do, and I want to have all that God wants me to have, you realize you become, you become unhappy with status quo and you become happy with where you're at and you want to go to another dimension, another place, another season. Uh, I got this uh, thought the other day riding down the road. Uh, I don't know, Pastor Rhonda or I or someone has kissed the curb. And when you kiss the curb, it messes up your front end alignment. And so I had to drive pulling left and then I realized, actually, I didn't realize someone at a gas station told me, said, hey, your front tire's low. So I put a little air in it, it seemed to make it better. But I got to thinking about your alignment determines your assignment. Your alignment determines your assignment. If you're all out of line, you'll never, you'll never find your assignment. You'll never understand your assignment. You'll never, you'll never be a part of the assignment that God has for you. I like what Pastor Rhonda said about prayer a few minutes ago because I saw, I, I believe it was on Facebook, it said, God does not respond 
to email, God responds to an email. Isn't that kind of cool? I wish I thought that up, but I didn't. But I thought your alignment represents your assignment. I did think that up. So I, got, I get partial credit there for, for some of it. But your, God does not respond to email. God responds to an email. And we, when we begin to pray and ask God to draw closer, we sing that song that says, Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking with thee. Let it be. Oh, there's the Beatles. Let it be. Dear Lord, let it be. But Mother Teresa didn't come to me and speaking, let it be. It was the word of God that said, let it be. And so as you begin to pursue this relationship with God, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself stuck in a rut. And we talked several weeks ago about a rut. I don't know if you've ever been on a motorcycle. It comes as a surprise to you, but for two years, I rode a 72 Harley Sportster. It was 1974, and I did everything on a motorcycle. And I, I, I took my nail bag, I took my skill saw. I literally, that was my, my method of transportation, and I loved it. Uh, I, would, I would love to revisit that, but it seemed like it's so dangerous today in a motorcycle. And every time I see a motorcycle, I pray for Donnie Swafford, without exception. It doesn't matter if I see a motorcycle, I pray for Donnie Swafford. Because he's already been run over, and people try to kill him and run him off the road and slammed into him. And, and he's a walking miracle that God answers my prayer. And Donnie, you're probably alive today because every time, and which is about four or five times a day, I'll see a fully dressed heart with a saddlebag that goes, God touch Donnie. God, keep your hand upon Donnie. God, let, don't let anything build angels around Donnie. And uh, Donnie will tell you that he is a survivor. He survived many wrecks where God told him to go this way or go that way. But if you've ever been on a bike or ever been on a motorcycle and hit a groove or hit a rut, it's a scary feeling. John, it's, it's almost like... You feel hopeless, you feel helpless, and you try to get out of that rut, you try to get out of that groove, you try to get out of that place, and, and usually you could overcome that and you can manipulate that. But if you're not careful, being stuck in a rut will stop and, and, and it, will, it will affect your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people that are stuck in a rut. There are many people that feel like that you don't have to go to church, you can watch Christian television, I'm all for Christian television, as you know. We've been on God TV, we've been on Daystar, we've been on TBN. We appreciate those opportunities to minister. But Christian television is not to replace you coming and meeting in the house of God, the things of God. There are those that are convinced that they don't need to tithe, that, that tithing is a suggestion. Tithing is a commandment. But there's a lot of people stuck in a rut that says, well, tithing is Old Testament. We're now in New Testament. Don't even go there with me. The New Testament church gave away everything. Look at someone say everything. They met the need of every widow, every orphan, and everybody dispersed what they had. And, and I'm glad that I don't focus on the New Testament concept of giving everything away. My attitude is give 10 or 20 and you've done good. Do I have a friend in the house? Give 10 or 20. Someone said, well, should I tithe on my net or should I tithe on my gross? Well, which one do you want God to bless? The net? or the gross. I want God to bless the gross, but I, Pastor Ron and I, began several years ago what we called a prophetic tithe. We didn't tithe on the net or the gross. We tithed on what we would like to make and let God catch up and let God do the math and say, well, God, if I've, if I've tithed this as my tithe, then my salary needs to be, or my honorarium or something needs to be this. And I promise you, when you make that declaration and you step out there in faith, 
it's scary how quick God will chase you down and overwhelm you with blessings, increase, promotions, raises. It's scary. You can't beat God giving. But it's easy to get into a rut and say, well, the church doesn't need my money. God doesn't need my money. There's so many ruts that we can get into. Someone told me a rut is just a grave with both ends kicked out. It's just a, it's just a place that you can get distracted and you can get frustrated. So if you're in a rut today, I want to tell you God wants to take you out of that rut and place you on another level, wherever you feel you are in the kingdom. And we'll do, a, we'll do an inventory here in the morning. Wherever you feel like you are, you can go from that place to another. We couldn't get to God. Like we couldn't get to Mount Everest, so God comes down, not just the light, but God comes down as a son, and he sent his son. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. So we see that God sends Jesus not just to be the light. He said, I'm the light of the world. Not just the word in the beginning was the word, but he becomes a tangible, physical creature that has all the challenges that we had, all the frustrations we had, all the temptations we had, all the attacks that we had, yet without sin. And when I think about being without sin, I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind would be Grandma Carolyn. Grandma Carolyn was in my life for years and years and years. I never saw her drunk. I never saw her in a bikini. I never heard her cuss. I never heard her lie. She was the most awesome woman of God that I know. But God said, even, even Grandma Carolyn, even Mother Teresa, even Billy Graham, there, there's no one righteous. So he who was righteous came to where we were and lived, our, lived his life and took on all the challenges of life to show us that we can live a life without sin, that we can overcome temptation, that we can be aware of de deception, that we can deal with accusation. So he, be, he becomes the son, not just a son, but then he lowers himself a little lower and becomes a friend, not just the word, not just the light, not just the son, but a friend. And we sing that song that says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So not just being that friend, but that he lowers himself just a little lower and he begins to serve the disciples. He's washing their feet. And Peter, and he got in an argument. Peter lost. Jesus told Peter, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. I came to set an example. God has placed in our, and let me re retract all that. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so he becomes a servant, and then he lowers himself just a little bit lower and becomes a lamb. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. That generation understood the Lamb because it was a sacrifice at Yom Kippur that if a man had sinned or failed or dropped the ball, he purchased the Lamb, took it to the high priest, the blood was shed. The man was unconditionally pardoned because of the blood of the lamb and he becomes the lamb the bible says he is the lion of the tribe of judah but when he was on earth he was the lamb that was led to the sacrifice and not just coming to the position of lamb but all the way to the gutter all the way to ground zero jesus became sin and all the sins of the world all the wrong thoughts all the wrong actions the sins of ho chi Minh, the sins of adolf hitler my sins my granddaughter's sins my grandparents sins all the sins of the world of eternity all the way going back from adam and concluding in revelation he talked he took upon the penalty of all the sins of mankind and because he did that now we who were born to sin watch the step here we that were born to sin can confess him as our savior and we go from sinship 
to a new level that's called lambship. And all of a sudden, we become a part of the family of God. And we become that little lamb that he protects and he takes care of. I have never seen this happen, but I have, I have been told that sometimes in the flock, there is a cantankerous lamb that does not submit. It does whatever it wants. It wanders off. It gets his foot locked. Their footing is very insecure. A, a lamb or a goat either or a horse, their footing is very insecure. And they will get their hoof caught in a rock and they will break their leg. And that shepherd will pick that lamb up and for the next several weeks he will carry that lamb and he will protect that lamb and he'll provide for that lamb he, he takes that lamb everywhere it goes and that lamb establishes a relationship with the shepherd and love and affection that, that shepherd loves that lamb because of that quality time spent together every time you drop the ball every time you mess up every time you fall every time you fail every time you sin God picks you up from where you're at and takes you to his presence and holds you to his bosom, lets you feel his heartbeat, his love, his favor towards you, and lets you know that everything is going to be okay. Do I have a friend in the house today? And then when we walk in that lambship, we learn that there are things that we do. He said he didn't come to serve, but he came, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Then we step into the place of servanthood. And that's what this church is in this community. It's here to serve. I know the police department's here to serve, but we are here to serve. Countless days, people knock on the door, no groceries. We get them groceries. Countless times, someone calls and says, I don't have any gas in my car. I'm a single mom. Who put gas in their car? Yesterday, Michael and I launched on a mission. And poor Michael, I caught him blindsided. I caught him at a weak moment. I caught him Wednesday night after he ate a bowl of uh, ice cream. And I said, hey, I said, are you busy Saturday? He said, well, yes, I'm going to mow the lawn. I said, well, could you help me before you mow the lawn? And I like those words, help me, because that always means delegation. That means someone else is going to do the work, and I'm going to sit back and drink iced tea. But we went to a widow's house that has no, she has no one. Her son has died, her husband has, has died, and she has no one. And the tarp that covered her house is under insurance investigation blew off. And what the rain came down, and the rain trashed the dining room, and all the drywall, all the insulation, all the ceiling tile fell on the floor. So yesterday, while I was drinking iced tea, Michael Brown went on the roof, about 100-degree roof, and he put a tarp up, 812 pitch, and I heard him sliding around. I was praying the whole time, like Donnie. Oh, Lord, don't let him crash and burn. Be safe. And uh, Pastor Todd and I can relate to because I put Pastor Todd on a 312 pitch, Cheryl, and he's used to walking flat. So we get a little old, and I say, you're intimidated by that little old, but I was on the crown drinking iced tea. So I have got this, I've got this down pretty well. And he comes in, Michael comes in about halfway through. And I mean, his shirt is soaking wet, he's soaking wet. So we let him take a five minute break and drink a water that went back on the roof. But that's what the church is all about. The church is here to serve. The church is here to bless. The church is here to help. And the tithe and offering of this congregation allows us to do that. We don't receive tithe and offering from any other congregation or for any. We, we have a lot of people in our life that are wealthy, but they sow in the things that they're called to, they're involved in, and they don't sow here. So what happens here on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and offering and tithe, that's the money that we spend. We don't have millions in the bank. We don't have a bunch of stock. We don't have any sweet, Swedish bank accounts. We have, we, have, we have none of that. What comes in Sunday, usually spent by Friday. And sometimes we write checks by faith. We wait till 4.54 Friday afternoon. Can anybody relate? Because you know it's not going to hit the bank for Friday, probably hit the bank Monday. Come on, do I have a friend in the house that's with me there? I'll teach you good marketing if you stay with me for a while. 
and you get there right before the banks close and you get that deposit knowing they're not going to see it till Monday afternoon and you believe and have confidence in God's people they're going to tithe and bring the offering and Monday we make a deposit before 10 o'clock and guess what we stay out of jail we collect $200 we go towards go give the hand give the Lord a hand clap of your faithfulness and your consistency in the kingdom of God so it becomes so we become servants and then what is so neat Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother then we we establish through being cleansed of our sin and being a lamb and being a servant then we begin to realize that we can be a friend I like that song that says I am a friend of God he calls me friend and aren't you glad this morning you can drop all the names you want to drop I don't really know what names that I could drop of people that I've met spent time with I guess I could drop T.D. Jakes I guess I could drop Nancy Harmon. I guess I could drop Marcus Lamb. I guess I could drop David Carradine because I partied with him. But when I think of all the names that I can drop, there is no name that has more power and more authority than the name of Jesus. And I call him friend, and he calls me friend, and we have a relationship, we have a friendship, and he cares about me, and I'm glad that he cares about me. Aren't you glad that you have a friend that cares about you and you can be his friend? After we walk in friendship for a while, we begin to read the book. We begin to read the will, the 60,000 promises found between Genesis and Concordance. We read the will, and we find out all these things that God has for us, not just because we're a sinner saved by grace, not just because we're a lamb led to slaughter, not just because we're a servant, not just because we're a friend, not just because of that, but then we step into what's called sonship. And we become a part of the family of God. Joint heirs, the Bible says. For, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Aren't you glad? For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And if heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. Aren't you glad this morning that you are a son of God and that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you and I could live and have life. And then as you operate in sonship for a while, you actually trust the book you're reading and you start speaking the book you're reading and you take advantage of the places that God puts you in of darkness and then you become the light. You become their light. You may be the only light they, they will ever, ever acknowledge. They may never go to church. Years ago, uh, our, dear, our dear friend um, Rick Shelton was the manager of Lowe's and uh, we've been in a real long revival, about six or eight weeks with Perry Stone. And uh, Rick's wife, coming back from Chattanooga, uh, got sleepy and uh, crossed over into the, the median and was hit head-on by a diesel truck, and uh, she died. And so Lowe's flew us to Arkansas to the funeral. I preached the funeral, and uh, we were on their corporate jet, and I was sitting next to one of, uh, one of the... Uh, uh, he was the manager of a Lowe's store in Chattanooga, and we got to talking, and I mentioned something about David and Goliath, and he said, what's that? This man, 50 years of age, had never heard the story of David and Goliath, had never read the Bible, had never been to church, knew absolutely nothing about religion. And so the only religion he knew up to that time was me. And I only had about an hour and 45 minutes, but I gave him an hour and 45 minutes of relationship, stories in the Bible, let him know that Linda was not in Nirvana, Linda was not uh, passed away, but Linda was in the presence of God and began to share that. 
and I prayed with him. He never acknowledged that the Lord was his Savior, but he let me pray for him, and that's a, that's a lot of ground that, that, that you can cover. That's a black So in the prayer, I covered everything. I got him in there. I got him in the fold. I got him eating grass. I got him drinking the water. I got him laying down with the lion. I mean, we did, we did everything but actually convert him. We'd leave that up to God. But, but it, was, it was crazy to know that there are people. See, we just assume, and this, this is an assumption that, that I had to deal with a long time ago. Anytime you go to hear Brother Perry preach, he assumes you've been studying the Bible 81 hours, and you've read 11 books, and you know exactly what he's talking about, and he just spouts it off, and you're like sitting there, like get hit by a train going, what, what was that, what did he say? Back that up a little, back that up a little bit. So it's hard to grasp that there are people that have no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of the things of God, no knowledge of, of the miracles and the blessings and all that God has for them. So you become not just the light that shines in darkness, but you become the Word. There was a man, his name was E.W. Kenyon. He has written some incredible, phenomenal books. But if you'll read his book, you will notice that every, every, every chapter, every page, every sentence is a scripture. He literally is a walking, talking, quoting Bible word of God. He responds to everything in scripture. No matter, no matter what you say, no matter what, you're, what situation you're in, no matter what you're going through, he has a scripture or a promise or a truth to share the word of God. And that's the way, that's the level, that's the dimension that we are to become attached to because if you align yourself with, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you'll never grow. If you attach yourself to, well, I'm just a lamb of God, you'll never grow. If you say, well, I'm just a servant, you'll never grow. If you say, well, I'm just a friend, you'll never grow. But as you begin to pursue that sonship, that lightship, and that wordship, you find yourself maturing, you find yourself growing, and you find yourself responding to every single challenge every single negative, every single problem, you start responding by the Word of God because you're actually, number one, reading it. Number two, you're meditating on it. And number three, it gets in your heart and gets in your spirit. God told Joshua, when Joshua was getting ready to take over from Moses, which was a big deal, God told Joshua, said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. Success is attached to the Word of God. Prosperity is attached to the Word of God. When you begin to realize who you are in Christ and who Christ is in this universe, then you realize I'm all that in a bag of chips. And as you begin to look to the Word of God, it will declare very, very clearly what you are. I wrote some notes here about aligning in the Word of God, saying, saying to yourself what God's Word says about you, what God says about me. That's what I want to quote. That's what I want to speak. Anybody have a friend in the house that would receive that? Matthew 31 and 3 says that I am courageous. Romans 8 and 37 says I am victorious. John 3, 16 says I am love. Matthew 5, 3 through 12, the Beatitudes say I am blessed. 1 John 2 and 20 says I am anointed. Psalms 147.3 says, I am healed. Psalms 139, verse 13 and 14 says, I am beautiful. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, I am strong. Psalm 84 and 11 says, I am favored. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I am able to do exceedingly abundantly. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, I am powerful. And Ephesians 2, 5 through 9 says, I am saved. Does that excite anybody in the building today? That's where you align yourself. You align yourself with those promises with the things the Word of God declares over you. And when you begin to look in the Word of God, 
it's full of so many stories that are so powerful that we can relate to and we can align ourselves with. I look at the faithfulness of Noah who spent 120 years building an ark, had never seen rain, had never seen a flood, did not know what rain clouds were, had absolutely no idea because a dew came up from the earth and watered the earth. There was no rain. There were no clouds. There were clouds, but there was no rain. So in faithfulness for 120 years, he built the ark and God proved him faithful by sparing him, his wife, and their three children, the, the, the three boys. I looked at the diligence of Samson, who was penalized, placed in a corner, walking in a circle. But on that day of days, because he was, he was diligent, the little boy put him through those posts and he killed more in one day than he had in his entire life. I look at Abraham, whose mission was expecting. He was looking for a city that had foundations. I look at Esther, whose relationship was consistent. She was consistent with the call that God put on her life, and she went before the king and interceded for her people. I look to Joe, who was a diehard. Joe went through everything there was to go through, yet survived, prayed for his friends, and got back double everything the enemy had stolen from him. I look at Moses, who was focused. Moses had his hand on that staff. He had the word of God in his heart, and he stayed focused on the call that God told him, bring the people out of bondage. I look at Gideon, who was obedient. Didn't feel like he was all that in a bag of chips, but God saw more in him than he saw himself, and he destroyed an army of thousands. I look at David, who was a worshiper. Gave us the Psalms and all the wonderful truths about what happens when we take that spear of worship and throw it towards God. God comes down to where we are. I talk about, I think about Samuel. This is that Samuel, what a listener. He heard God. He heard God's voice. He responded, and God talked to him. I looked at Timothy, whose relationship was teachable. He heard everything the Apostle Paul had to say, and he applied it, and he did it. I look at Enoch, who, whose, whose uh, relationship with God was trust. He walked so far with God that one day God said, Come unto my home. You're too far from your home. How cool is that? Then I look at Mary, whose, whose, whose her, her, her diligence was she was available. She made herself available. She told the Holy Spirit, Be it according to the word. And then I look at Paul who made the Word of God personal, where we can reach out, we can touch it, and we can be a part of it. How cool is that? Aren't you glad this morning that you're a part of the family of God? Aren't you glad that you don't have to stay in the rut of sin, or servanthood, or lambship, or friendship, but you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God? Uh, there will come a day, uh, I hope it's many, many, many days from now, I'll be spending three or four days with my dad this week, there will come a day when my dad's will will be read. And whatever my dad determines for my brother and I to have or my brother and I to share or however he determines that, that that's the way the will will read and that's what I'll receive. I have absolutely no idea how my father's will is written. We've never discussed it. There's never been any, uh, I don't want his will. I want him to live forever. I don't want him to ever die. So I don't want, to, I don't want anything to ever happen to him. But there'll come a day when the executor will read the will and tell us, who gets the log cabin, who gets all the CDs, who gets the savings account, who gets this, all this, and whatever the, the executor says, that's what I receive. But as a child of God, I don't have to wait for someone to die for my will to be read. Do I have a friend? I don't have to wait. Someone has already died. He's already taken the sting of death and the, and the, the horror of the, of the grave away, and now I can open this book anytime I want, and I can read my will, and I can read all the promises, not just when I get to that place, but the promises that God has for me in the right now. He's the great I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I read that will, and I start walking in that will, and I start quoting the things that God's Word says that I am, and it changes my life. 
as every head is bowed just for a moment. Lord, if we're in a rut, let us get out. If we're stuck, let us get unstuck. If we're snagged, let us get unsnagged. If we're at a place of questions, give us answers. If we're at a place of where we're looking, open some doors, turn some lights on. Let this week be a different week. Let this week be a week that we seek out the Word of God and what it says about us. We seek out the Word of God, and we, we look at these scriptures that Pastor shared this morning, what the Word of God says that we are. Let us know that your purpose and your plan is a good purpose, a good plan, a plan to bless us and to keep us healthy and accountable. Let us find that road. Let us find that group. Let us find that place that you have for us. Let us realize it's by prayer, it's by worship, it's by reading, it's by declaration, it's by study that we have these things and we become these things. Don't let us settle for one level short. Let us pursue this ladder all the way to where you are and let us have fellowship with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And y'all said, amen. It's three minutes before noon. So we're going to beat everybody to the restaurant today. Before we bless you, we're going to give you a chance to sow a seed in the kingdom of God. I've been looking for some financial miracles in this congregation. If God has provided a financial miracle for you, would you let me somehow know either... Uh,